0: Welcome to the Book Hub, an online event space hosted by Luther Seminary.
1: Hello and welcome to this edition of the Faith Lead Book Hub on hospitality that includes with authors and church leaders Jonathan Malm and Bethany Fox. My name is Leanne Pomrenke and I will be your MC. Bethany Fox is a Presbyterian pastor and founder of Beloved Everybody, an ability-inclusive faith community in Los Angeles where people with and without intellectual, developmental and other disabilities, as well as neurodiverse folks, lead and participate together. Her book, Disability in the Way of Jesus, holistic healing in the Gospels and the church, examines how Jesus healing in the Gospels, too often used in ways that wound people with disabilities, might point a way towards real healing and mutual thriving. Bethany, I cannot wait to hear what you are going to share with us. Take it away.
0: Thanks, Leanne. Thank you, everybody. It's great to be with you today. Um, I'm going to start off uh, with a chance for you to check in with yourself about how you're doing in this moment. This is a little practice we do in our faith community when we have online gatherings. Um, the purpose of our online gatherings is to collect, connect to God, to ourselves, and to one another. So, this is kind of a way that we connect to ourselves and then share with each other. And um, at the beginning of our our times together when we gather on Zoom. So I'm going to share my screen and you can see, um, I will invite you to in the chat to take a look at, there's an image of nine different dogs with different expressions and things happening. And which dog describes how you're feeling today? Where, where are you at as you check in with yourself? Uh, which of these kind of most corresponds to the emotion that you are are feeling. And you can just put that in the chat. If you'd also like to put your name and where you're from, that's great too. Um, Or else you can just put the number and then maybe a word or two about what you feel like that dog is capturing. Uh, For anybody who isn't able to see these images, I want to just describe what we're, we're seeing here. So number one, we have a little kind of puppy who's black and brown and is running wide-eyed and wide-mouthed in the grass. Number two, we have a little dog with its nose poking out from under a blanket. Number three, we have a brown dog snarling. Number four, we have a very long-haired, long-eared dog uh, who is brown with a blue croc shoe on its head. Uh, Number five, we have a little white and tan dog sticking its tongue out. Uh, Number six is a pug wearing a striped shirt, maybe, (laughs) and uh, looking a little bit uh, frowning or sad. Um, Number seven looks like a kind of smiling husky-ish dog. And number eight, we have a short-haired dog or hairless dog with a kind of wiry white, Afro mohawk going on. Uh, And number nine, we have a Rottweiler face with his eyes closed and tongue hanging out to the side. So um, let's see, we have a lot of different ones. Somebody's uh, feeling overwhelmed and frazzled, Susan, uh, number eight, Uh, number four, Carol isn't feeling well today. Um, Hope does that, I don't know how the shoe on your head corresponds to that, but maybe it's just kind of being discombobulated. Um, Brad is filling at number seven. Number eight, a sense of uh, hecticness with Carmen. Um, Arlene is feeling number five. Uh, We have Karen who uh, is, there's a lot of number eights. A lot of people are feeling frazzled, wiry hair, hectic. Um, Somebody's feeling chill, Gail in Concord, Massachusetts. Wendy is filling number two and overbooked, so under, just peeking out from under a blanket. Anyway, feel free to read. I'm not going to read everyone's responses right now, but um, feel free to continue to respond if you want, but this is just something that we do in our community, and uh, one thing I want to just name about, about it, besides it being like just fun and engaging and not just kind of sitting back and watching, which tends to be what a lot of church can feel like sometimes, um, is that it's multi-sensory in the sense that um, for people who don't use language, they can point to which one they're feeling like. And so if somebody's with them, they can say they're pointing to number six or something. Or if they can't really describe feelings, they can still say a number maybe or hold up a number. Um, Or if it's somebody who uses a lot of language, they can kind of describe more. They can say, I'm feeling like number six because... I'm just really sad. I had some bad news at work or, you know, whatever they can give some more information. And then by doing a visual description, you're able to um, make sure that people who don't take in information visually can also participate. So um, just thinking through those things, this is just kind of an example, both just for fun, because it's like listening to someone talk for a long time, just can get boring, but also um, to just give an example of how Different kinds of multi-sensory activities can be fun and um, and accessible to a broad range of people. So, this quote is kind of what we've been getting at already, Um, and this is by Dr. Crystal Jones. I saw this on Twitter a number of years ago now, but it's always stayed with me. And the quote says, there's a huge difference between all are welcome and this was created with you in mind. Um, And I think this is kind of what we've been getting at in this whole conversation today so far is that, you know, you can stand at the top of your stairs and say, all are welcome. While really what that means is if you can climb stairs, you're welcome to enter our space or all are welcome. But really um, if somebody can't really sit down for an hour and be quiet, they're not actually welcome. And so thinking through those kinds of barriers and, Just thinking through, like I said, the diversity of bodies and brains that God has created and wondering about how to have a gathering space, a worship time that acknowledges the diversity of people who exist um, as created by God is just an important um, piece of what it means to actually truly be hospitable. So uh, before I continue with the slides, I want to just say a little bit about why I wrote this book to begin with, Disability and the Way of Jesus. So um, I always make the joke that like, if it was not heretical to have a favorite member of the Trinity, that my favorite would be Jesus. Um, but if it's, do you think it's heretical, then, you know, I don't have a favorite. And it's really true, I love all the, the whole Trinity, but um, I've always been a, um, okay, I'm gonna put the quote slide back on so people can see it well. I share this Um, so and i don't know if maybe if one of the other co-hosts can type the quote into the chat that would be great
1: yes i did so you can grab it out of the chat there
0: too great i'm going to stop sharing this slide so that you can see me but um so we um so anyway as a jesus person i've always found a lot of my own liberation and i'm just i love jesus my life has been transformed by following the way of jesus and As I kind of got more involved in the disability community and got to know more folks um, with disabilities over time, um, I realized that a lot of them were talking about how churches and Christians who were attempting to follow the healing way of Jesus in their theology and their practices were actually really wounding people with disabilities. And they were experiencing a lot of um, pain at the hands of churches and Christians who were thinking that what they were doing was healing in the in the way of Jesus. And so this disconnect was really troubling to me. So I thought, I wonder what's happening here. And I wonder if there's a way to take seriously the healing way of Jesus um, and practice that as people, as communities, to be communities of healing that that are faithful to the ways that Jesus demonstrates what that means in a way that's actually healing and isn't just further wounding people. <clears throat> so that was kind of the journey I embarked on and um, what what I kind of described the process of thinking that through in my book and go into some more constructive pieces of what does that look like to be a communities of healing in the way of Jesus. So um, I wanna just talk just briefly about kind of some of the things that, um, I talk about in the book and some of the ways that it works out, which is uh, thinking about how the way that we read scripture and the ways we read these texts about Jesus healing people comes through a particular lens and beliefs that we already hold. So here we see a picture of a woman looking through a foreopter, which is like when you go to the eye doctor and any of you who wear glasses are familiar with this machine uh, that puts different lenses in front of your eyes and is like better one, better two, three or four, and you're kind of getting things are shifting so you can see what is actually clearer so that they can figure out your prescription for your eyeglasses. And I was thinking about how the way that we read these healing texts in the gospels uh, is through our own lenses, right? It's through these lenses of, we've already decided what does a good body mean? What does healthy mean? what does healing look like? Uh, What does a good brain look like? Um, We have all these kinds of preconceived notions that we take into our experience of scripture. And so because of those preconceived notions, we tend to notice certain things that happen in Jesus encounters with people. And we tend not to notice other things, or we tend to count certain things as part of the healing and not other details in the text. And a lot of that comes from the lenses that we're kind of looking through of how we understand disability, how we understand healing, what we think health looks like, those kinds of things. And so um, I wanna just go over a couple of different lenses that we might bring with us when we look at a different text, uh, a healing text in the gospels. And one of these is called the medical model of disability. And this is a way of thinking about disability where we see a little frowny stick man here with arrows pointing toward him uh, with the word problem. And the medical model is basically saying a disability is something wrong with a person, that they're, maybe if they're blind, their eyes don't work, or if they use a wheelchair, they're not able to walk. Um, if they have ADHD or some kind of learning disability, there's some kind of brain problem. And this is how the medical model thinks about it, that <clears throat> a disability is something wrong with an individual. And so obviously wherever we locate the problem is how we're gonna locate the solution, right? So if in our medicalized understanding of disability, the problem is with an individual, well, that's that's where the healing needs to happen is in the individual. So this is kind of the traditional view of how we think about illness, how we think about disability, um, that disability is caused by a physical, a mental or sensory impairment, and that the individual is the one who is impaired and that that's the location of the problem. So obviously the focus of the medical profession, and then hence how we think about what healing means as Jesus does it. Like I, there's a whole chapter in my book where I talk about how medical doctors read these healing texts and the ways that that particular lens, which is like a very you know, serious lens of the medical model, what it makes them notice when they read the healing texts and what they tend to pick out and how they tend to interpret those. Um, and the focus of the medical profession and hence how we think about Jesus is that it's about cure, that healing is about curing and that it's about alleviating the effect uh, of the impairment. So in contrast to the medical model of disability, another lens that we can bring is called the social model of disability. And here we have our little stick man again or stick person with these arrows out pointing to the word barriers, and this is kind of what we've already been talking about, right? That there's the idea that, yeah, maybe this guy uses a wheelchair to get around, but the problem isn't necessarily in the fact that he uses a wheelchair, but it's in the way that we've constructed our social environment to not be accessible to people who use wheelchairs. Or maybe this person has ADHD, um, but the problem is in part the way we've constructed our educational system or our church services to mean a certain amount of focus and stillness for like long periods of time. And so the social model understands that disability is more about, or it's in conversation with the person's characteristics and how the world is around them. How do we even expect social interactions to go? What kinds of, this is really big in churches. How do we, engage before and after the service. It's like a very socially intense time for people who um, maybe are not as skilled at just random encounters with strangers. All of a sudden you have to make conversation with a bunch of people you don't know and there's a whole list of rules about it, how far away you need to stand, how long you're able to talk, what kinds of topics you can talk about. Like there's all of these things that some of us might not have to think that deeply about how to engage those things, but other people are having to go through a whole list of like, and and they might not get it right in quotes, you know? Um, And so they experience uh, issues, a lack of belonging related to these kinds of barriers that can be in church communities. So the kinds of barriers that the social model might point to are like the environment being inaccessible. So that could be the buildings themselves, the physical structures. Um, It could be that services are inaccessible language, like there's a lack of captions or ASL, that sort of thing, Um, or communication, just it's not happening in a way people communicate and learn and express themselves really differently. So if we're just sticking to like verbal practices, we're leaving out a whole swath of people. Um, And then organizations are also attitudes of prejudice, stereotyping and discrimination, right? Like even if we're not talking about a flight of stairs, if everyone is kind of patronizing towards people with disabilities, um that's not a very hospitable environment right and so those things are just as important um as as some of the other more concrete things <clears throat> and then sometimes organizations can be inflexible in their procedures and practices i'm sure you've never experienced this in, experienced this in your church churches never struggle with inflexibility but um yeah i'm being sarcastic in case you didn't pick up on that so uh it's definitely an issue where there's like a lack of willingness to change. So when we read the healings of Jesus, when we go to these gospel stories with these different things in mind. When we read the medical model, we pay attention, when we look at it through like the lens of the medical model, we pay attention to what the person can't do. They can't see, they can't walk, they can't hear. And so the emphasis then is on the bodily cure that takes place. We like kind of make healing and curing as synonyms. And so that's what we tend to see. Um, and we think the whole story is basically about the fact that the guy was blind and then he h- he could see. But if it was really just about that, it could be about 20 verses shorter, if that's really all we were trying to get to in certain texts. So why are there all these other things included? And <clears throat> as we've kind of talked about the medical model, reading it just through that lens leads to practices of healing and theologies of feeling, healing that are focused primarily on fixing the individual. Um, and so then the social model in contrast uh, pays attention when we look at these healing texts uh, to what the person can't be in their context, right? Maybe they're isolated from community. Maybe they are forced to be a beggar. Maybe they um, you know, are just not able to participate in the worshiping community. There's all kinds of things that, um, they're being cut off from, not just be, not because of anything particular to them, but because of the barriers in place in the culture that they're a part of. And so the social model tends to notice that the transformations that take place um, about like social inclusion and the changes in the environment, ways people shift in the ways they view people, um, ways that somebody might, at the end of the healing narrative, become a follower of Jesus and join the community. That it's not just a transformation of their body, but like there's a kind of more holistic transformation that's taking place here. Um, And so when we notice that, when we see the way that Jesus isn't just kind of the medical doctor extraordinaire, but he's actually doing something much more holistic in people's lives, um, we can think in our communities about what does that look like to think about the healing way of Jesus as healing. Uh, and fixing broken and exclusive structures in our community, um, in you know, in our lives. And so, um, I'm just going to leave it there. But um, that's just kind of a very quick <laughs> uh, snapshot. Um, if there was more time, I would kind of go into a specific text to kind of show you one that's really good is Bartimaeus. If you think about the story of Bartimaeus, I encourage you just to look at that one later in Mark 10. And think about these two lenses and how you notice the different kinds of transformation that are happening in in that story. So thanks.